as you can see. All right, here we go. What's up, everybody? My name is Luke Thomas. This is the, I'm not even looking at the camera. This is the uh, promotional malpractice live chat. Today is Wednesday, October 29th, 2014. Sorry for the uh, interesting beginning. I wasn't prepared for something that I thought I was prepared for. Today on the chat, we'll talk about uh, UFC 179, all the results that come from that. We'll talk about Conor McGregor and how he's, um, it's interesting what he's up to these days. We'll break down all the different angles of that. We'll talk about fighter injuries. We'll talk about Anderson Silva's new contract. We'll talk about whatever you would like to talk about. Best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com, where this window is embedded. Uh, you may also do that on Twitter. You can get at me, at SBN Luke Thomas. Well, as a reminder, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. People keep emailing me and tweeting me, Luke, hey, can I, how can I listen to my mobile device? Any number of ways, Podkicker, Stitcher, you name it, SoundCloud, it's all on there. So, so get on that, and then you can get on iTunes as well. Um, although, obviously, spread the YouTube video around. Uh, let's see, what else? What else, what else? Um, well, that's it. I got my drink. It's off to a roaring start, aren't we? Off to a roaring start. Let's see. F it. I'm just going to get into it. <laughs> I've just had the worst intro to this thing imaginable. And uh, I'm just not even going to belabor the point anymore. I'm just going to get right into it. So there you go. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it, by the way. Yikes. An inauspicious beginning. All right. First question. Uh, Anderson Silva's new deal. Are there any rumors and details on his new deal that you're aware of? Is the UFC upping his pay? What benefits are there for the UFC and Silver up to, to up his number of the fights of the contract being 15. Besides him being exclusive to the UFC, obviously he won't get 15 more fights, but I can't see any other benefits besides locking him up uh, to the UFC and potential pay raise. He probably has a bit of a pay raise. There's no way he'll do 15 fights. Um, I don't know whose idea it was to put a 15-fight contract together. I remember back in the day when it was a controversial thing that Pedro Hizzo got a seven-fight deal over Randy Couture. So this is more than double that. And the guy is 39. It'll be 40, I think, in April. So it really is sort of a nonsensical thing in that way. But to your point, it locks him up sort of forever because he won't finish 15 fights. There's no sunset clause on it, basically, that we're aware of. As far as other terms, it's not particularly clear because all these things are sort of kept secret. But I just think it's sort of a gesture of goodwill. It's, again, again a way to lock him up for the future. Um... It gives them some flexibility about how far they can use him should they need to. It's just a sort of a weird thing that Anderson wanted to do. I, I don't know that it has any hugely impactful significance other than you sort of see that number 15 and you're like, how do you plan on getting 15 fights between here and age 50? Is that even possible? You know, that's an actual question. You look at Cain Velasquez's output. Can you even do 50 fights in 10 years? 15 fights, excuse me. So, no, I wouldn't read a whole lot into it. Uh, let's see. Jose Aldo and Chad Mendes fight. Fair to say that was fight of the year so far. Certainly a contender. For me, I would put uh, Chris Weidman and Lyoto ahead, but that's a personal preference. I wouldn't necessarily chide you or, or say there's not a whole lot of criteria to base it on to, if you gave Aldo Mendes number one. Uh, you have one versus two. You have them building on a story between themselves. They had previously fought. So it was a rematch. You have camps battling. 
And as I mentioned before, there's a couple of things that, that the fight had its own narrative, which, again, a lot of these boxing fights, or a lot of these MMA fights, even long ones, 25-minute fights, championship fights that simply don't have. This one had it, which was really an interesting development that I, I, I greatly appreciated. It had momentum swings. And I think what most importantly it had was, you, it, and, I, and I alluded to this on my signal-to-noise column, but I'll flesh it out here a little bit more, is the idea that you learn something new about both guys. Jose Aldo, deep into his career, Chad Mendez deep into his career. But with Jose Aldo, and he even mentioned it after the fact that he had looked in the mirror when the fight was over the next day, you know, when the swelling really comes up, and he couldn't believe what he was looking at. He was touched up in a way, physically challenged in a way, that, I mean, I know he has one loss on his record, but that he didn't look like this afterwards. This was really the true test of his career. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, he rose to the occasion. While he sort of coasted in the fourth round, he had enough in the fifth round to seal the victory. Or, you know, I know he won three, he had won the first three rounds on the judges' scorecards, but, you know, we didn't know that going in. So, I mean, he really made sure that he ended as strong as he could, and I, and I respect that. But, I mean, you just got a sense of the, the, that the fragility of Aldo was real, but so was the perseverance. By contrast, with Chad Mendez, you got something a little bit different. You had always looked at, because you looked at him differently. You'd always looked at Aldo as the guy who is the guy to beat, and so you saw some of that fragility play out, yet the hardened ability to, to persevere. With Mendez, you had seen quite the opposite, which was that we knew he was talented against lesser guys. We just didn't know if he was going to be the guy against Aldo. He, would, he, he had the deficiencies. Could he overcome them from a skill standpoint, from uh, uh, you know, um, the ability to take damage himself? And he answered all those questions. Number one, taking the shots he did after the bell in round one, in addition to all the other ones he got dropped with. That was incredible. But I think more importantly, you just saw a guy who so many guys get rematches and they claim this time's going to be different. I got a different strategy for this fight. And it's only really marginally different. This one could not have been more different. Chad Mendez could not have displayed more development, more maturation, more evolution. I thought he put on the performance of his career even though he lost. Did things to Jose Aldo that no one else had done. That third round uppercut, well, he had Aldo on skates. I was shocked. I was shocked. And I picked Aldo to win, and I guess in the end I was quote-unquote right, but I don't know. I, I felt like I missed the prediction on that one. I did not give Mendez the credit he deserved. And remember, a lot of the criticism about Mendez was not that he didn't look good in his fights, but that who was he fighting? You know, it's, it's one thing to look good against, you know, to drop Cody McKenzie with the body shot. That's, that doesn't tell us a whole lot. And I think that the Dwayne Ludwig ability to create improvement at scale by going to Team Alpha Male and not to undercut Martin Kamen either. What you saw was Jose Aldo come down to earth, but then sort of sort of um, reassert why he was the guy. And then you had Ched Mendez ultimately falling short, but asserting himself as more than what we thought, certainly for me. And I know many of you picked him and thought highly of him, but even if you thought highly of him, watching it play out is different. Watching a guy go through the motions in a demonstrable uh, way, showing you his new skills with great effect, there's something different even if you're cognitive, cognitively expecting it. The actual um, the act of it playing out just has something that, that all the predictions in the world can't really properly psychologically prepare you for. I was, I was blown away by what Chad Mendes was able to do. And I think that a lot of people are saying, well, what's he going to do now in the division? And I think I was one of them. I would walk, back, I would walk that back a little bit. 
I would walk that back. I would say, for now, he's kind of in limbo. But the way in which he was able to put Aldo to the brink, because those 49-46 scorecards, which is what I had too, they just don't accurately represent the kind of pitched battle that it was. I think that after a couple of fights, depending on how things shake out, especially between Aldo and uh, eventually McGregor, if it comes to that, I think you're going to have an interesting trio there. Remember, like, light heavyweight, the title changed hands in its heyday, so I don't know that I expect that necessarily. But there were always a bunch of guys on rotation on each other, and McGregor has found a way, and we'll get to this later on in the chat, but McGregor has found a way to make guys sort of include him in all portions and permutations of how the division folds out. Oh, what about Swanson's turn on McGregor? What about Edgar? How would he match up with McGregor? What about Mendez? Hey, is McGregor going to fight Aldo? And so you have these different w things where different guys match up uh, differently, but the point being is that they're all sort of connected at the top, and each fight really kind of tells the story and brings the division to life. Um, I think you're finally getting featherweight coming to life a little bit. You know, and you needed that. You needed someone like Aldo to be the great champion that he is. You need someone like Mendez to push him to the limit. You need someone like McGregor to be the controversial figure who creates great uncertainty and yet great anticipation. Uh, featherweight is coming to life, and I, and I think it's going to happen on the back of that of these two guys. It's going to happen on the back of that fight, and it's going to happen on the back of what happens with Swanson and Edgar going forward. So, fight of the year for me, as, as much. Praise as I heap on Aldo Mendez, and if you want to have it as your fire of the year, it's more than a suitable choice. But for me, I think the the the, the arrival of Chris Weidman, if he can stay healthy, um, and the and what what those guys are able to do to each other from a technical standpoint, um, for me was more interesting. But it really is quite subjective at that point. How do you think the quality of MMA would be affected if all fighters were clean? Also, if you look like you lift or used to lift, what are your lift numbers back in the day? Yes, please only answer the first question. Uh, I will. Uh, I don't lift anymore because uh, I've had a bunch of surgeries from, from lifting. Um, I tore all my shoulders to, to, to hell and my back. But um, if the, how would the quality of MMA be affected if fighters were clean? That's a difficult question to answer because your initial response would be, well, certainly there probably would be some decline, right? Steroids are a performance-enhancing drug. Uh, various other drugs are performance-enhancing. If you remove that aspect, you get a decline in performance. But I would, I would submit to you that I don't think that that would necessarily uh, stop the quality of improvement. I think there would still be a steady march towards progress. Guys are always trying to technically adapt, technically catch up. Best practices are always being developed and shared and uh, adjusted. So, so the march towards progress never really changes. I would submit the most important consideration here may not necessarily be that what would happen if all the guys are clean. That would be problematic. It just would in terms of what your expectations might be anyway. What I would submit to you, though, is it would have to change the way in which promoters put out their product. To me, the most interesting thing about the debates we have over the quality of MMA is largely a function, in my estimation, of how it's presented, how the businesses, and not just the UFC, all of them, arrange their models and, and how the product is um, um, uh, nurtured in that way. It would they would have to make massive adjustments if overnight somehow all fighters everywhere on earth couldn't do any performance enhancing drugs even inadvertently right because that's what you're talking about here what if all fighters were clean that would have to be both malfeasance and just you know stupid negligence that you somehow removed which you couldn't do but you get the idea
I think it would have to, I think promoters would then say, okay, how do we, if we're going to have an immediate overnight decline in performance, because we're going to, how do we then adapt to that? And I think you would have to find guys who, um, you would have to, I think, just place a much higher emphasis on quality, reliable, consistent quality, reliable, consistent guys who don't get injured as much. Um, it would narrow the product substantially, I think, but perhaps in some ways, a good way. I think the product now could just be, I mean, if 179 didn't teach you that the product needed to be narrowed, I don't know what kind of, kind of conversation I can have with you anymore. Any guesses as to what the November 17th announcement from the UFC may be? As, as you may well know, I got it in my email yesterday. You saw it on various other places, on Twitter, on other websites. UFC announced that I think on November 17th they're going to have a major announcement and that more details would be available on the 5th. So that's, let's see, let's see, that's... Uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, so Wednesday, I guess. Oh, next chat, right? Isn't that next chat the 5th? I think that's right. Could it be? Let's see. I'll watch it be Tuesday because my math is bad. The 5th, yeah, it's Wednesday. It's next Wednesday. So um, that should be interesting. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> No, but as far as what it is, I have no idea. Some people have speculated, hey, is it the UFC uniforms? Could be. Is it some major fight announcement, some signing? I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. Did Aldo's performance change your opinion of how McGregor would fare against him? Also, do you still think Pettis beats Aldo? Well, I want to see how Pettis looks against Melendez. I think sometimes these guys, they just move away from your consciousness for so long, you begin to... You begin to lose a sense of how good they are. Also, even with that time off, he's still been training. So do I expect a measure of ring rust? I suppose that I do, but I also expect Aldo to be technically more proficient in some ways. Or not Aldo, I'm sorry, Pettis. So it's a, kind of a hard question to answer. Um, in terms of McGregor, I will say this. I think that what, what really stuck out to me with the Aldo performance was if he can maintain his cardio levels over the course of 25 minutes, um, he's really... His speed never takes a dramatic turn for the worst. His game is hugely, hugely predicated on reflex, on speed, on, on quick decision-making. And even in that fifth round, he had it, you know, at least relative to his competitor in that case. It doesn't drop off a cliff where people just start lighting him up. It doesn't work that way. And so McGregor's point, I think McGregor... People aren't thinking about it. I don't hear anybody talking about it. I mean, I've done it a little bit. I think maybe Patrick Wyman's done it a little bit too. No one's really talking about the fact that I think McGregor's criticism of the Thai style for MMA as practiced by MMA fighters, it really needs more examination. I think the guy does not get credit for this. When he says and talks about, look at how those two, he gave respect to them, Aldo and Mendez. But when he says those two, they just stood in front of each other a lot. There was not a lot of movement. And you saw it, too. There was some movement at some portions, particularly on the side of Mendez. But you saw Aldo. Aldo's kind of flat-footed and kind of keeps his hands moving and kind of stays on the balls of his feet a little bit. But he doesn't really move around the space except defensively to evade. And, and, and McGregor's point is, I don't have the style where I stand in front of you. I'm coming at angles at different distances at different times. And, you've again, the guys he's beaten are in a pimple on the ass of Jose Aldo. Okay, fine. But the style has thus far proven to be hugely effective even if it's half as effective it's still pretty damn effective no one is talking about this a little bit and i kind of feel like it deserves more examination so i guess my point is 
I'm willing to concede to McGregor that his indictment, not of Thai boxing generally, but of Thai boxing styles in MMA, as practiced by MMA fighters, even good ones, is highly susceptible to a more motion-based, open, freestyle kind of striking style, which McGregor employs. I would also note, though, that what McGregor might not be taking into account here is, number one, the offensive speed of Jose Aldo, his ability to whip out hooks to the body, his ability to finish strong combinations hard before he can get out of the way because you're sitting right there, his, his hand speed, his jab, his accuracy, all that I, I think that McGregor might respect a little bit, on, uh, but maybe not enough, but more importantly, his defensive speed, the ability with which he is able to move out of the pocket for just a moment, his ability to slip punches and then quickly rip one to the body. So, like, yes, Jose Aldo has many of the trimmings of a Thai-style fighter in terms, of, in terms of his striking for mixed martial arts, where he is kind of in front of you and he is kind of flat-footed, but he marries that with this natural athleticism and also the technical skill of timing when you had to slip a punch that opens up that Thai-style a little bit more for him, or at least reduces some of the inefficiencies in it. So I, I really kind of think that, and McGregor mentioned it in his interview with Ari Helwani after the fact on that night, that like those guys stood in front of each other a little bit. I agree, and I think Conor McGregor's criticism there really doesn't get enough attention. I think you're going to see a lot more of him banging out people on the feet who just, oh, where'd you learn how to strike an MMA? Oh, I learned Thai boxing. Every MMA gym is the same thing. Hey, we got a wrestling coach. Hey, we got a Thai boxing coach. Hey, we got a um, jiu-jitsu coach. And maybe those guys are really good. Maybe they make you really good. But... As MMA continues to adapt, guys are going to find little nuances or even major paradigm shifts in how to approach the game that give them an edge over the same old thing that everyone else is doing. And I think Conor McGregor's push that the open spacing style of his striking gives him a competitive advantage in some respects, and I think that's absolutely true. I would still favor Aldo to win. Um, I, for me, it's like I, I think Aldo can beat him striking. I think that uh, I don't know how Mendes would do if it was just a striking bout. For me, again, the major question with Conor McGregor is not a function of his striking. Striking looks pretty good, right? I think we can all agree to that. It's, it's the rest of the game. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if he goes in there and just bosses around your Clay Guidas and your Ricardo Lamases and your Chad Mendezes in terms of takedown defense. I don't know. Maybe he does. Or maybe he gets just steamrolled by him. I don't know what the answer is. He just hasn't answered that for us. It's a big mystery. So you don't know, and I don't know, and no one knows. Until that's answered, that to me is really the most compelling part about the Conor McGregor issue, dilemma, hanging over everyone. How does he deal with this? Until that's answered, it's a huge question mark. Someone asks, here you go. Uh, where should Chad go from here? With two losses on the current champion, Chad is faced with a difficult situation. He is too small for 155, and 135 is unrealistic given this team situation. Also, his size. Have you seen this, that guy? Dude's catching pigeons on the beach. Should he just stick it out at 145 and hope Aldo vacates or loses his title or look to build another win streak and obtain a somewhat unlikely third shot at the champion? This is a case where, given his relative youth, this isn't the same as Rich Franklin rematching Anderson Silva and just getting blown up. He pushed Aldo to the brink. He pushed Aldo in a way no one has pushed Aldo before. He nearly got finished and came back. Chad Mendez is a horse. An incredible performance. This is not the same thing. This is not the same thing as Junior Dos Santos, you know, 
Junior, it's the fifth round. That's uh, between the fourth and fifth round of your second fight with, uh, or your third fight even with Cain Velasquez. Where are you? Oh, I don't know. Am I in Brazil, dude? I mean, he got he got he got blown up too. This is not that case at all, at all, at all, at all, at all, at all. He has to wait his turn. The rest of the division has to kind of move forward without him a little bit, but it doesn't ultimately leave him behind here. He did enough in that fight for you to say. I don't think it's that crazy we can give him a third shot, depending on how things go. You don't want to put him in front of all the next contenders because then you just ruin all the chance for the division to move forward. So I'm not suggesting that, but I don't think you just throw him to the, the, the trash heap pile and say, well, you're stuck here in limbo. I don't think that's the case at all. Either someone else becomes a new champion and then the whole equation changes, or Aldo continues his reign of dominance and there's still a possibility for him down the road if things work out appropriately for him. This is, he is not done by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, someone wants to know my opinion on the El Clasico Derby. I, I won't answer those questions in any great detail here. I wrote a little small little thing on how I felt about it, but needless to say, I was quite pleased. So, hala Madrid y nada más. All right. Uh, what fighter do you think would be do significantly better than the weight class they are in if they moved up or down a weight class? Jeez. Um, up or down significantly better that's a tough one because i can see minor improvements depending on where guys go um significantly better that's a tough one i'll tell you who i've been impressed by after the fact it's always hard for me to say who i think is like lurking out there in an inappropriate weight class um I don't know if Ovin St. Preux can make the cut, but I think he can. I've seen him and Weidman in person. They're not hugely dissimilar in size. Maybe he can't make it. I don't know. I'd be curious to see. Because he does pretty well at light heavyweight, but I think he'd be even better at, at middleweight if he could make it. Um, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Anyway, point being is um, I, I've been impressed by Wilson Hayes at flyweight. I've always thought that Wilson Hayes... Wilson Hayes is one of these guys who, um, you know, MMA, I, I, MMA fans always say, God, why, how come his striking hasn't gotten better? He's over there training with Team Alliance. He's over there doing X, Y, and Z. How come he just can't get better? Some of these guys, like, you cannot indict Wilson Hayes' work ethic. You cannot indict his athleticism. Dude is hugely athletic, man. Strong, quick, fast. Uh, about it, I mean, like, you know, both in short distances and in quick bursts. You know, has different kinds of speeds for different kinds of ranges of the fight. Obviously, a tremendous grappling talent. Go look at his Grappler's Quest match with uh, Ryan Hall. Wilson Hayes is a monster, okay? Um, but one of these guys who's striking has, before it was just a major liability. He had nothing really to use on it. Now it's at a point where he can use it functionally to set up the rest of his game. And I don't know that it'll get much better than that. And that's an improvement. All I mean to say is, Wilson Hayes has benefited tremendously from the weight cut. So to your point, as a guy who I would sort of spotlight as having already done it. But I would also sort of say, I'd put a limit on what you can expect from him because he's if he can't get the takedown. Yeah, I mean, he body kicked Scott Jorgensen, but Scott Jorgensen's had his own issues of late. I don't want to take anything away from Wilson Hayes. If it sounds like I am, I don't mean to be. I just mean to say, I think his striking is always going to be a means of setting up everything else. 
I don't see him having to. I don't see him being able to put together a win streak where he just completely eschews the grappling portion of his game. It just doesn't work that way for him. But I can see other guys who have really good ground games but are much more well-rounded being able to do it. So there are limits to how much better you can get technically. But I'm trying to think about like dropping a weight class. Like who could drop from middleweight to welterweight and really improve? Or, or heavyweight to light heavyweight. That's a tough one. Ian McCall. What do you think of Uncle Creepy's comments on the state of the flyweight division and his comment on Demetrius Johnson having the personality of my coffee mug? Also, how do you think a fight between the two would go down? Johnson and McCall have fought already. Like a couple of times. Right? Yeah. Um, I think Johnson would win. Um, it's an interesting comment. First of all, he actually didn't say that. He said it's not even as he's not even as dynamic as my coffee mug because I have a, he has a Joe Rogan coffee mug. Um, I think he's right. I think he's right. Now, how much of that you can pin on Demetrius Johnson, I don't know. Uh, certainly, a heavy portion of it. But I think McCall is is, is right. You know, um, people always look at Conor McGregor and they make a couple of really false claims. The first of which is. Number one, gee, look, everybody, if you just open your mouth and say outlandish things, albeit confident, look what you can do for your career. Not understanding that it's sort of like looking at Usain Bolt and being like, look, everybody, if you just run faster than everybody else, look what it can do for your career. As if this is something they can really control. Conor McGregor's ability to market himself is a talent. Now, you see it as him simply being himself. Guys, this is a show. It's all the show. It's all theater. I mean, yes, the fights are real, but it's, it's theater in, in large part. Even that Q&A about the way he presents himself to the world and the way in which he talks to the world and the way in which he thinks about himself, even if he doesn't think that, the way in which he says it publicly. This is all a demonstrated concerted effort and so it's a skill it's one he's naturally extraordinarily good at but it's a skill because if you don't have those things that he has naturally you have to work on them and a lot of fighters don't know how to work on them don't know who to turn to for help to develop them and it doesn't it's not merely a matter of saying crazy outlandish things it's a matter of generally being an interesting person and McCall seems like a generally interesting person, but I also got a real note of frustration, a real note of almost sadness to his comments. You never really get that from Conor McGregor. You really sort of always get this unbelievable positivity. Now, he hasn't faced enough adversity yet for him to maybe fall on hard times, which may come soon. Who knows? But I just mean um, asking Demetrius Johnson to get up there and promote the division more. He doesn't know how to. So you have to accept what... DJ is and and move forward with it or you can just be perpetually frustrated by it um, I think the second thing that people don't understand is they say well look look at what Conor McGregor can do um, not just with his words to promote himself but wow look how interesting featherweight is again or now maybe ever but what what's happening there is that you're taking the greatest featherweight ever in Jose Aldo 
at a time when the division's really coming into its own with top guys like Lamas, top guys like Mendez, top guys like Edgar and Swanson. And you're bringing in another character who is completely unique, irrespective of weight class, and you're saying, look how they did it. Anyone else can do it. Well, no, not really. These are highly specialized circumstances with once-in-a-generation kind of talents that took years to produce with a guy who might be the best natural self-promoter in the business. Certainly, certainly competing today. The idea that this is easily replicable across weight classes is total fantasy. Total fantasy. You may hate Conor McGregor's act both as a self-promoter and as a division raiser, but it's, it's, it's such a rare commodity. Other guys cannot do that, at least not to the same way he can. So saying to McCall or for McCall to say to, to Johnson or anybody else that we need to do more to promote, it's probably true. And there might be some, some areas they can move, but it's not a tremendous amount. It's really not. How, kind of who you are, that's who you are. Unless you can really flip the switch like Chael Sonnen. Again, a very, 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 very difficult thing to do. A very difficult thing to do. So the last thing I'd add in, to, related to that second point is they're overcoming their own bias against them. I'm sorry, there is a bias against lighter weight fighters. That Pacquiao and Mayweather are able to overcome it is a testament to Pacquiao and to Mayweather. Not an idea that it's, well, that there is no bias against lighter weight fighters. There absolutely is. It's fluid and it changes and it's not consistent. But the lower you go, the, the more it begins to present itself. Partly it's because there's a, an ignorant skepticism about it. And partly because there's not. Sorry. You know, Demetrius Johnson is an incredible talent, but when you look at the stats between how their fights end and how heavyweight fights end, there's a lot to look at there. They, uh, I remember that first fight between Benavidez and Johnson was like, oh my God, look at these scrambles. They're not doing anything to each other. Look at that fight between Aldo and Mendez. They did things to each other. They, they dramatically put the fight at the precipice a number of times. That's, that's affecting change. And so... What's going to happen is you want flyweight to be popular, you're going to have to overcome that. There's going to be an incredible amount of bias against them. Someone is going to have to rise to the occasion with a call to arms, and he's going to have to have people help him do it, really. I don't mean, I don't mean other promoters. I mean other people in the division doing interesting things that make a complex web. But somebody's going to have to step up and say, we are up against this. And people are like, the UFC could do more. Please, geniuses out there, tell me what more the UFC could be doing. Oh, we could put them in the co-main event slot in the Fox Sports 1 card. And what would that do? And what would that change? What, 20,000 more people were going to see them? What you're talking about is a, uh, a, a total overhaul of the system, of the flyweight division, to get it to be more than what it is. All these people criticizing UFC, well, UFC is not promoting them enough. Really? Because if they put them all, if they put Demetrius Johnson all over embedded, you would love that. You would watch that. Is that, is that what you want? It's not what you want. It's not what you want at all. Well, you, you don't want any of that. You want Chad Mendes catching pigeons. You want Conor McGregor saying crazy things. You want Jose Aldo calling someone an SS. That's what you want. That's why that stuff's on there. It's not, it's not accidental. You, you, you consumer, you tell the UFC what they want, and they respond. The, the, the trick for the flywits is they have to find a way to get the consumers to change their preferences against the consumer's own biases. And that's the end of it.
It's the end of it, you know. All these, all these cosmetic things about why isn't he in a co-main event slot? You know, I'm not saying that's not an important change for all kinds of reasons, but that won't give us what we want out of flyweights. That won't turn flyweights into this dynamic sensation. They are what they are. You can put them on the card in any kind of way. And yeah, it'll make promoting a future title fight harder because you got situations like John Moraga from Facebook. All right, they botched that. Fine. But if they put them in a co-main event previously, would it, what, what, what was it going to do? Jump the number of buys by 200,000 more? No. No, it wasn't. They are what they are right now. And unless someone comes out and completely just kicks that thing into high gear, this is what you have. Accept that there are biases, as unfair as they may be, and figure out a way around them. And it sucks, and that's not an answer that I think a lot of folks want to hear. It's the truth. If you don't naturally pick up on something, if something doesn't naturally come to you, again, it has to be built and worked on and, and developed and invested in. I understand that. But there's no raw ingredient there. There's no there there. And so until that changes, this is what you're going to get. You can put them in the main event role. You can put them in the co-main event role. None of that changes. Mark Goddard, what do you make of Goddard's refereeing in the UFC 179's main event? And if the ref is really not able to hear the signal at the end of the round, shouldn't they be wearing earpieces like, for instance, soccer refs do? Sure. I don't think that anyone was really expecting that kind of din that they'd have to work over. So I don't blame Goddard for that. A lot of people didn't hear it. Dwayne Lubbock told Brett Akamoto he didn't hear it. Um, I think Dana White said he didn't hear it. Lots of guys didn't hear it. So I don't really blame him for that. Um, I thought he handled most of it pretty well. There was, you know, I, I thought that the way in which Aldo, Aldo was milking the system a little bit. Oh, look at the eye poke. Oh, look at the groin kick. Some of them were real, and a lot of them weren't. And when it finally towards the end of the fight, when he was like, just fight on, I kind of respected that. So I thought all things being equal, he did a fine job. I mean, there was a big error there in that first round. But I, again, as I sort of noted in the signal-to-noise column, we often look at, like, say, Kung Lee's drug test, and we say, oh, man, they, the UFC... You know, they're forced to self-regulate if they want to go to these areas. They haven't quite figured out how to do it well. Now, they have this sort of, like, regulating body cap MMA, but, you know, they're so brand new. We can't really expect much from them. But, honestly, what happened in Brazil is not an overseas regulation issue. Could have happened anywhere. I'm surprised it didn't happen. I was at UFC 129 when they were, uh, you know, 60,000 people there for Shields GSP up in, up in Toronto. I'm surprised it didn't happen there because it was loud in there. It was especially during that Hominick fifth round against Jose Aldo. It was crazy in there. Um, I'm surprised that, that didn't happen at that point. So, um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that the problem there was as MMA is still so very new, there are so many things we haven't quite accounted for or figured out. And maybe in this way it's a good situation. It sucks that Mendez got cracked like that. Two, not just two extra punches, two hard shots from, a, from the best fighter that that division's ever seen. But MMA's new, and the regulation's still kind of working its kinks out. And that could have happened in New Jersey. That could have happened in Las Vegas. That could have happened anywhere. So I, I don't think Goddard has a whole lot of burden to, to, to shoulder. True or false, Daniel Cormier beats John Jones. I just don't know. I want to give you a yes or a no. I really don't know. UFC eventually includes pay-per-views with Fight Pass. I think that is true. Won't be for a while, but I think that's true. Um, Gustafson, Cormier, and one of the three. Gustafson, Cormier, and Rumble beats Jones. I'll say... I don't know. <laughs> the man who eventually dethrones Cain Velasquez is currently in the UFC. False. You would favor Jacare Machida and Rockhold over Anderson Silva. Um... 
two of the three. I'll let you figure out which two. Eddie Alvarez. I was wondering who you thought would be Eddie's next opponent. Someone says Darren Cruikshank would be fun. I agree. Let's give him somebody like a Cowboy Cerrone, maybe a little bit more of a manageable task. Um, someone I, I also read, someone wanted Jim Miller. I'd be okay with that. Um, let me look up Rankins. Boy, those rankings. How about, how about Lentz being uh, underneath Seaver? That is something. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, you can't fight Barboza or Johnson. Those would be good fights. Masvidal. That'd be a fun one, wouldn't it? Um, Diaz would be a good one. I mean, I know Diaz is, is locked up for the moment, but Rustam Habilov, any of those guys in the top 15. I mean, give him Masvidal. I'd love it. Bobby Green would be a good one. If Josh Thompson isn't retired, that would be a good one. A lot of those would be good. Any news on Rumble situation? No, I know as much as you do. UFC's handling of Conor McGregor. Luke, you've been consistently praising the UFC for their promotion and progression of Conor McGregor. What are your thoughts on the Seaver matchup? It seems that the UFC had everything lined up to give Conor the next title shot with Cub and Frankie and Lamas and Bermudez tied up in upcoming fights. Do you agree with this matchup? Should they have simply given a title shot due to a lack of higher-ranked opponents and the state of the division? Well, I know everyone wants to throw UFC under the bus on this one. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not as ready to do that. The, uh, the calendar just doesn't work out that great for them. I mean, yes, you could make it work if you wanted to, but it's not ideal given the timing of the Swanson at Edgar fight and then the timing of the Lamas and um, uh, uh, Bermudez fight. Again, they could work it if they wanted to, but I think they want to keep the train on uh, leaving the station at a regular kind of pace. I still think it is absolutely nonsensical to make this fight on the same day as the AFC Championship game, particularly with, you know... I mean, for, if you don't follow football, man, for years... Belichick was just not adding weapons. I mean, yeah, they got Gronkowski, but they just weren't. I mean, they got, you know, Danny Amendola. They weren't adding a lot of offensive weapons. And he was just this dude who was like, I don't never need to do anything. I don't, it's, you know, uh, I don't, I, the, the guy who, when it's cloudy outside, never walked out with an umbrella. And there was a couple weeks there, man, where it was like, well, it's raining now, mf -er. What are you going to do about it? But for the last, like, four weeks, man, Brady has just been on fire. And so... You're going to have a, a, an event in Boston, which I think Gregor can, you know, McGregor can do pretty good things for. But on the, it could be on the same day where in Foxborough and the whole Boston region is paying attention to Tom Brady balling out in the AFC Championship game. I mean, I just don't understand what you're doing there. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't even AFC Championship game regardless, I wouldn't go head-to-head -head with, especially with the way Brady's playing recently, man. Anyway, um, so I don't think that's particularly smart. But there may be other factors involved there. In addition to the calendar not being ideal for how they want the matchups to work and how they want to keep the featherweight division moving, it could be that they want to return to Boston at a certain amount of time. It could be that they want to give Fox Sports you know, a certain amount of shows and that happened to be the way it worked. And all this. In other words, it could have been factors beyond what we think of them normally about what the division needs and more about how the organization's plans are moving forward and what they owe their partners. It could be a lot of other factors beyond that. Um, let me also say before I talk about the Seaver fight, 
I think that the UFC needs to be careful with McGregor going forward. By that I mean between here and that fight, or at least for the, for the time being. Because what he did at that Q&A was perfect. Okay, it's fine. Um, Jack and Carnesau called him uh, the closest thing MMA has to Ric Flair, which is hilariously true. But I also felt like there was, I, I, I saw two different Instagram photos um, and maybe, uh, yeah, two different Instagram photos of, of uh, UFC President Dana White with Jose, I'll, excuse me, with, uh, with Connor partying. I don't really care about who he parties with and who he doesn't party with. That to me is not the issue. But there was almost this point where I, I don't think we reached it, but we got right up to the edge of overexposure. Right up to the edge. There's no doubt that bringing McGregor to Brazil was the right thing. It was great for the Embedded series. It made Aldo and Mendez talk about him, which sets up future opportunities. All that worked out, but there was so much of him at a moment where it really had nothing to do with him in terms of what was going on that Saturday that you got to the point where you're like, I'm getting a little sick of this. Again, I think it worked out. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It worked out. But they're risking overexposure with the way in which they're constantly leaning on him. I would dial that back a little bit now. There's other fights coming up with other divisions. Let's let Conor McGregor be quiet for a while. He can say what he wants on Twitter, and that's fine. And he always likes to be in the news. If I were him, I would dial it back a little bit. You, you, you have to leave them wanting more. You have to leave a certain amount of suspense and mystery and questions. And that's frustrating for the fans to feel, but that's what makes all the answers that come later so tasty and delicious, and it's the red meat. He was, he was risked, they risked overexposing him this past weekend. That, I would say that, do you want to call that a misstep? Because I don't think they actually did, but they got pretty close. They're risking misstep. How about that? As for the fight itself, my thought about that is, you know what this fight is. It's a fight that McGregor is set up, you know, listen, it's not a set up fight, but he is, they didn't make it by accident, right? McGregor should win that fairly handily. The only interesting wrinkle to me is that, first of all, Seaver kind of moves a lot. Um, I expect him to get banged out, but of note, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, I kind of feel like everyone's like, oh, he's not fighting another wrestler. I would never, ever call Seaver a wrestler. That's not what he is. But what I would say is he doesn't have the worst takedowns in the division. And if you're looking at his resume, McGregor's resume, you know, he's got who on there? He's got Poirier, he's got, um, you know, um, 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 God, um, Brandal and, and all the other guys he's fought in the UFC. Seifer has better takedowns than all of them. <laughs> kind of true. Um, Seifer doesn't mind grappling at all. So I'm not here to tell you that if McGregor beats Seifer, that all these questions about whether or not he can beat wrestlers have been answered. What I would submit to you is the following. It is not necessarily crazy to suggest that Dennis Seaver, a little bit, might, depending on how he competes, provide some answers about Conor McGregor's wrestling and grappling. He may not. He may go in there, slug it out, get dropped in 30 seconds, and that's, the, and that's that. Or he may go for one or two takedowns that were telegraphed, and that doesn't answer anything. But I also can envision a scenario where he is able to stay on top of Conor McGregor and we have, to find, we have to see how Conor McGregor fights out of it. I don't mean on top, like they're actually on the ground, although that could, it could come to that, obviously. But 
Seaver, I'm not again. I'm not here to tell you he has the best takedowns in the world, but the takedown element of McGregor's game is so unknown that I don't think it's necessarily crazy to think that Dennis Seaver, a little bit, might tell us a little bit of the answers. State of MMA journalism. Oh, these are always fun. Um, with the announcement from the UFC that there's going to be news on the 17th, it brings up something interesting about MMA media. It seems as if all journalists rush to find out the news but won't break the news unless the UFC allows them to. I don't know anything about it, and we haven't discussed this at all on MMA fighting. This seems to be a complete opposite in other sports. I don't think a day will come where a huge NFL story gets passed on by journalists. Well, I mean, a million stories have been passed on by journalists there. You read Peter King? Until the UFC, okay, excuse me, until the NFL okay's the information is being released. Well, there is. I mean, that's partly journalistic practice in all in all lines of uh, work. Um, there's something called being embargoed, where if they tell you what's up, they give you, say, uh, a copy of the president's State of the Union address, and it's embargoed until a certain time, and you can't talk about it or release it on your news outlet until, say, 5 p.m. or something like that. Um, now, this is not embargoed because we don't even know what it is, but I don't know that anyone on our team knows what it is, and I don't think anyone's tried to find out. Could be wrong, but um, if that's the case, that's news, that's news to me. Worst look. Ruan Potts literally laying still for almost an entire MMA round while anonymous McCurtain jerker bores a hole in his abdomen with punches, or... Hans Stringer gassing in the second round and getting reversed by the worst grappler in the light heavyweight division before succumbing to insignificant strikes. Yeah. I don't even know what to say about that fight. Either fight, really. I just love all these people. Oh, man, more fights is great. Oh, uh, is it? Mm. Is it great? <laughs> this is very, very, very very, 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 very narrow band of fighters in MMA who are good. It is not big. And when they fight, it's incredible. And the drop-off from them to everyone else is the Grand Canyon, by and large. Exceptions abound. But this idea, the only way to say the only true way to say, I don't care that there's more fights, I like that there's more fights, is to say, quality is not a consideration for me. That's it. And if it's not, then that's fine. You don't, I guess you don't have to love quality, but that's what you're saying. If you're on the, oh, I think more fights is better bandwagon, or not even bandwagon, if you firmly believe that, you are just saying to, as a, as a mixed martial arts consumer, you are saying, I just, quality is not that important to me. To answer the question, uh, probably, probably the second one. Oh, they're both pretty bad. Ugh, God. All right. Um, who would you like to see Carlos Condit fight on his return? Matt Brown, Brandon Thatch, or Wonderboy? I would say Wonderboy. Climbing up the division needs a bigger name to beat. Carlos Condit um, would match up really well with them. Um, 
Brown wouldn't be a bad choice either. Thatch, though, I want to keep him a little bit off of... I don't want to throw him that fast. So I could go with Brown, but really the Wonder Boy one stands out to me. Really give him an interesting test for both guys, see where they're at, and um, it'd be a hell of a competitive scrap. I really like the last one. I just think Condit's sort of rangy style um, would be put to the test by someone with the kind of movement of Wonder Boy. Carlos would be forced to get up in his face, which he's not usually accustomed to doing. And Wonder Boy would have to deal with somebody who is uh, hard to put away, hard to hurt, and uh, excellent at distance. Let's see. What do you make of Lineker and McCall not getting the push they deserve as the co-main event and important fight? Everyone keeps talking about let, let me just let me just do this right now so I can end this little myth about what the problem is with flyweights. I think McCall is an interesting guy, and I think he does what he can to promote himself. I mean, look at the questions that we're getting. So I don't mean this to him. I think everyone else needs to take a long look. But the rest of the flyweights need to take a long look in the mirror, dog. A long look. Now, Ian McCall, I think he's out there making some noise and, you know, banging on the pots and the pans. And, and so I think he's exempt from this. But the rest of them need to take a long look in the mirror. So everyone's like, oh, my God, McCall and Lineker aren't in the, uh, the co-main event. Okay, what is, what is that co-main event? Hmm? It's Ovid St. Preux versus Francimar Bohoso. Now, I could be mistaken about this. I'm not, but I could be. Has anyone seen St. Preux and Bohoso getting any kind of push? Because I haven't. I haven't seen that at all. Not once. That card is about Shogun and Manoa. When I say push, I don't mean a, a, a quick mention. I mean a push. Any kind of effort to really promote them. Nothing. Ian McCall is doing more on his own than anyone else has done for him, I acknowledge. It's not like the UFC is really sort of saying, we got to get behind this St. Brubahoso match, boy. That is, where, that is where the money is to be made. Let's be honest, guys. The, the, the push is going behind Shogun and Manawa. And if you're creating that card and you're putting promotional efforts behind it, wouldn't you go with Shogun Manoa too? So sure, could you make the case that McCall and Lineker deserve to be one fight higher on the card because it's the feature fight? So main, co-main, feature. It's the feature fight. Um, you could. That's fine. I wouldn't be opposed to that. And all of a sudden this changes what? Ian McCall is doing all the work himself. And that's fair or not fair, but he's being successful. But the rest of those flyweights? Better take a long look in the mirror, Jack. Because it's not the UFC's fault. Um, I love the submission by Gilbert Burns. Can you break the submission down and his potential in the light heavyweight division? Um, yeah. So basically what happened was if you are going for that, uh, that arm bar from mount and you spin out to the top, what's going to happen a lot of times is the guy on bottom is going to try and sit up. Now, if you're on your back, imagine something. Imagine you're on your back, your feet are under you, so you're like your, your knees are up, and try and do a sit up. If someone puts their hand on your forehead, you can't do it. In fact, someone could even put like their one finger. You can't actually do it. So when you have an arm bar, this is the arm, you have one leg sort of over their chest on the underside of their armpit, and you have one leg over the face. The reason why you have the leg over the face is so they can't sit up. That's why that's there. 
It puts the weight down on them. You can, you can have abs of steel. A lot of guys are not. I mean, some some guys are really strong and they can do it. But a lot of times it's going to keep the guy flat. That 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 leg over the face. Um, he missed that. He missed that. Now, had he caught it, he would have had time to sit there and break it once he got to a full seated position. But he didn't get it. So what he did is he trialed his his legs over the over the uh, the grip, so that the grip would fall in and he could pull the arm back. And he did that, and then turned as the guy kept rolling, turned over from left hip to turned towards his right hip coming down, and to straighten his back. That's what he did. So what happened was he tried to sit out and then claim the position, couldn't triangle the legs to break the grip, and then because uh, he, he triangled, he triangled on top, he triangled on top to break the grip, and then once he did that, it was all she wrote. Uh, what is up with Dana White lately? No scrums or interviews. Uh, why do you think he's avoiding the media? I do not know. A lot of questions about that. I don't know. I don't know. Why is it that almost everyone seems to have a good first round against Maldonado and then gas in the second or third round? Um, I don't think he's fighting the world's best competition. There's a question here I can't read because it's inappropriate, but it's it's something. Who is the hottest ring girl? Uh, I could not possibly care less. People always like, what's up, dude? You gay, dude? You gay, bro? What's up, bro? You don't think chicks are hot, bro? It's like, it's not that exactly. It's like... Do you really watch football for the cheerleaders? It's like there's a, any number of ways to gawk at pretty women. The ones in the, the ring girls, I just I don't care at all. Let's see. True, false. Conor McGregor is the featherweight champion in 2015. God, it's impossible to say. I'll just... For the hell of it, I'll say false. Uh, GSP returns in a fight against Matt Brown. False. Ronda Rousey remains undefeated at the end of 2016. True. Conor McGregor becomes the first UFC fighter to sell 2 million pay-per-views. You are high as hell. False. Luke Rockhold finishes Michael Bisping. I will say false. The decline of MMA in Canada is more due to oversaturation than it is due to the loss of GSP. I would say that's false. I'd say it's pretty equal. The European market MMA will be larger than Brazil's by 2016. False. Not even, not even remotely equivalent. And that's with Brazil sort of cooling down a little bit. Let's see. Let's go to Twitter for just a second, if I may. Computer's not running that quick. Uh, looking at UFC 181, is that what a UFC pay-per-view should look like, and how many buys do you predict for it? Um, it's a good question. Let me pull the card up real quick so I can get a better understanding of it, because I can't really keep these things straight today. Here we go. All right, 181. Main event, Hendrix Lawler for the welterweight title. Banging. Two, Pettis Melendez with the lightweight title. Banging. Travis Bound versus Brendan Schaub. Love that fight. Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington. Not bad. Tony Ferguson, Abel Trujillo. Great, great fight. 
perfect for the uh, opening on pay-per-view. On the preliminary card, Faber versus Rivera. I see why they did that. I don't love that fight, but whatever. Eddie Gordon versus Josh Salmon. Doesn't do anything for me. Um, although I like Josh Salmon a lot. Corey Anderson versus Gian Vellante. Doesn't do anything for me. Todd Duffy versus Anthony Hamilton. Doesn't do anything for me. Sergio Pettis versus Matt Hobar. Doesn't do anything for me. Alex White versus Clay Collar. Doesn't do anything for me. So I'd say that pay-per-view main card is spectacular. The rest of them are just okay. Guys who would improve significantly at a different weight. Alexander Shlomenko. There you go. Although, and partly, I'm not sure how true that is. Maybe in Bellator. But it's not like welterweight is some sort of um, safe haven for the, for the, you know, for talent. Who would be more successful at 155? Mendez, Aldo, or McGregor? Aldo. Uh, do you follow Polish MMA? A little bit. You have Holodov, uh um, Blackowitz, uh, Marcin Held, a lot of good prospects. I definitely like Marcin Held a lot. I think he's getting better, by the way. And especially over there with the Duke Rufus guys. Uh, I know you're banging the drum for Connor versus Bermudez Lamas winner, especially if Bermudez wins, so why not wait? Uh, I wouldn't mind that necessarily. I just think it delays how they want to keep the trains moving out of the station. They have a certain schedule that they want to keep, and I just don't think that that naturally does it. Plus, if McGregor is looking to stay active, they want to use him. There's also that component as well. Um, recommendations on books and articles, bio, fictional, historic fight coverage about events or people in combat sports. Um, Loretta Hunt's got a good book on the history. Uh, the, the John McCarthy bio is not bad. I always recommend this book. I don't know anyone else who's read it, but I think it's just one of the best books for technical knowledge. Not technical knowledge, historical knowledge of judo, Falling Hard. Fantastic book. There was a book the UFC put out years ago, like 06, 05, on the history of the UFC up to that point that can help fill in the gaps. But honestly, like the best thing that I ever did, and this will help you more than anything else, because you can't really get some of the nuances about how guys were treated at certain times and what X fight meant to this city at that point in time. That, you can get those things, but it's a little bit harder to do. Seriously, you're going to laugh at me. You have Fight Pass. Just go, especially with the old, you know, now it's harder to get all the footage because they're on Fox Sports and it's on pay-per-view and so forth. But just start at, like, the, the Zufa era. or You can start at UFC 1, but if you don't want to go back that far, it's fine. But start at, like, you know, UFC 32, UFC 33, and just watch each event one by one. It doesn't take that long, to be perfectly honest. One by one. Watch their Ultimate Knockouts DVD. Volume 1, 2, 3, 4, whatever. Just start going through them. It's the best way to learn about everything. You begin to fill in the gaps and see where the belt has going and how MMA has changed and how UFC has changed and how, you know, frankly, how much better it's gotten in some respects. Although I think now they're sort of regressing a little bit in terms of quality. But, um, but you know, from, from the days of UFC 45 to the days of UFC 179, it's a pretty dramatic upgrade in a lot of respects. So um, that's what I would recommend. Get a Fight Pass subscription and just start going. In terms of books, I just don't find the books to be that great. Just not a lot of good books. Again, I think Loretta's book there is worth reading. Um, you know, he's not my favorite person in the world, but Jonathan Snowden has the MMA Encyclopedia. That could probably help, too. Um, uh, so, actually, that would definitely help. MMA Encyclopedia would definitely help. Um, 
there's a lot of technique books that you could sort of look at to give you a better sense of people. But it's like anything else. It just takes time. The best, the best thing you can do is just go watch the fights. Just go watch all the fights. Understand what Joe Riggs used to be for a while. Go watch Diego Sanchez versus Carl Parisian. Go figure out who Jerry Bolander was. Go look at the Pat Militich title defenses. If you can go find him, look at Frank Shamrock's fights. Look at Tim Sylvia's fights. Like, do all these things. Look at Frank Mir breaking Tim Sylvia's arm. Go find these signposts and just go one by one. That's the best thing you can do. Go look at Jeremy Horn versus Frank Shamrock, one of the best grappling fights of that era. Go look, go look at that. Go look at Miguel Torres versus Demetrius Johnson if you can find it. Like, just go one by one. That's the best thing you can do. All right. Based on some recent comments by McGregor, he talked about his dream scenario for the future, including a series of stadium shows in Ireland and Brazil. Then he laughingly said he is having trouble determining reality from his fantasies. But then when a reporter asked which stadium in Ireland he would like to be in, he suddenly got all PC and didn't want to say which one he preferred. He said there were two stadiums being looked at. It really came across like it was a real thing. Um... My question is, is this a likely scenario? Have you heard any rumors about negotiations? I don't think it's that likely anytime soon, uh, unless they make a title fight, in which case it could be. But l there's no... I know there were times when the UFC was actually booking Madison Square Garden dates, just holding them, you know, not putting any money down, but just holding dates just in case things were changing in a direction where they could get sanctioned. They might be doing that, um, but I don't think that they're, like, putting down money in any kind of capacity, or the, or the stadium to bring UFC in. I don't think money's changing hands. Um, and someone says, who has the name Liam, I'm assuming is Irish, I found his comments very interesting too, as there are in two in, uh, main stadiums in Dublin, one with an 80,000 football stadium and the other a 40,000 soccer rugby stadium. The likelihood of the UFC coming to any of these seems slim, but McGregor is not pulling numbers out of his backside either. Um, and someone's saying you can't fit more than 40K into Lansdowne Road for a fight as you don't need the whole pitch. Far more. Yeah, you could probably fit 50,000 maybe, 45,000, something like that. Even 42, 43,000. But that would be a lot. 80,000, I don't know. I mean, they did 60,000 with GSP. I guess I, I'm not in Ireland. It's hard for me to gauge. But who knows? Who knows? Super fight dream matchups. Jose Aldo... I'll pick a winner. Jose Aldo, Don Cerrone. Um, boy, it's tough. I'd say Jose Aldo. Dominic Cruz, Frankie Edgar. Dominic. Mighty Mouse, TJ Dillashaw. That's tough. That's, that's tough. Maybe Dillashaw. Rockhold versus Shogun. Rockhold. Verdum versus Cormier. Cormier. Chad Mendez versus Thompson. Thompson, uh, maybe, I'm not sure. Melendez versus Cub Swanson, I take Melendez. Rory McDonald believes Conor McGregor will be a dominant champ. Rory McDonald recently tweeted that he believes Conor McGregor will be a dominant champ in the UFC. What are your thoughts on this? Rory is quite a reserved guy, at least as far as his UFC persona goes. It would seem to me that he would not make a comment like that unless he believed it to be true, of course. I find it interesting and refreshing that elite athletes such as Rory can see beyond Connor's brash demeanor and see him for what he truly is. I may be reading it too, too much, maybe nothing at all, but I think Rory is not only the top guy in the UFC, 
who thinks McGregor will be champ. For as much as his persona and outside antics create buzz and build his bank balance, it definitely makes it easier for fighters and fans to label him as simply hype and discredit the incredible performances in the octagon. It's like, remember my criticism of Jose Aldo? I was saying Aldo is a weird kind of defensive fighter, right? Because if you have a guy like Mayweather, Mayweather's defense is incredible. He doesn't really have a lot of punching power. You know, obviously he can knock you out if you just you know, leave your chin open. But, you know, relative to some of the other guys in the division, including Pacquiao, he can't crack like Pacquiao can, you know. And so there's this belief that if you have these, and it could be, a, it could be a, an unfair belief, but it exists, that if you have really strong defensive fundamentals, it necessarily means that it's because you don't have the other things. You've had to build up your defense to account for your lack of offense. And Aldo was kind of weird, I always thought, because here was a guy who has all the offense you could ask for, but is very careful and reserved about how he uses it, really makes defense um, you know, a, a, a forward part of his game. In a similar way, fans, unfairly at times, believe that if you talk a lot and you do a lot of media and you make a big hype about things with the proclamations that you make, that you're necessarily compensating for something else. That you don't have those skills, that's why you're doing that. But at times it happens where you get both. You get a guy who just wants to promote for the opposite reason, that they are supremely confident. And it may be that they're deluded, which we're going to find out one way or the other here pretty soon, but it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not always the case that the guys who run their mouth are doing it because on meritorious grounds they couldn't do it otherwise. And yes, Conor McGregor is getting fast-tracked, there's no doubt about it, but eventually he's going to fight the division's best. It's not, everyone is like, you know, everyone's doing this hand-wringing, like, oh my God, Conor's going to get to the front of the line, and he's going to fight all these guys, and it's going to be, he's, excuse me, he's not going to fight all these guys, and he's going, to get, he's going to get a fight with Jose Aldo. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I mean, if you're, if you're Cub Swanson, I could, you know, or, or, or Frankie Edgar, I could see how you would think that was unfair. Oh, okay, fine. But the rest of you, why, why is that unfair? Who do you think is going to happen if he beats Jose Aldo? Who's he going to fight? Dennis Seaver again? No, he's going to fight like Chad Mendez. He's going to fight Lamas. He's going, to fight, he's going to fight all those really tough guys. That's who he's going to fight. Like, there's a certain point. Like, UFC will do some of the boxing stuff where they carefully matchmake you to give you the best opportunity to become a public figure. But the UFC stops that eventually. Bob Aaron will just keep it going with it. You know, credit to the UFC. They don't do that nearly, I mean, hardly at all, if, if at all. Um, well, sometimes they do. So there's, there's been a couple times there have been BS title shots. But you know what I'm saying. Generally speaking, you know, it's, if you want to hold that title, there's a point in your UFC career where all that BS stops, man. You, even if you lose to Aldo, there's a point in your UFC career where you just can't avoid those guys any longer. And so for me, it's like, oh, my God, he's running, he's getting in front of Cub Swanson. And I can see how you could view that as unfair on a, on a number of different ways. But I'm also of the belief that, like, dude, the, that, his day of reckoning is coming sooner or later. You cannot hide in the UFC. It does not work that way. Um, if you're upset about the way the circumstances have unfolded because you have certain allegiances to certain fighters or a general sense about how meritocracy should rule the day, okay, fine. But that should also be married with the knowledge that um, you don't get to do that forever. There's a very quick window where you can do that. 
They gave Roger Huerta everybody they could find who was not UFC caliber. But eventually he had to fight UFC caliber guys. And you know what happened? He got wrecked. That's how it works. That's how it works. So everyone's sort of wringing their hands over it. Okay, fine. I'm not saying you have no grounds and justification for doing it. But you should take some comfort in the fact that the day of reckoning for Conor McGregor is coming. It is on its way. It may be a little bit slower than you want it to be, but it's coming. Connor's Q&A. What did you make of the myriad of abuse Connor received from the fans down in Brazil? Do you think that would happen in any other country the UFC has plans to travel to in the near future? Sure. I think it could happen in a lot of different countries. Maybe not to the same extent that it happened in Brazil. But, um, yeah, I could see it happening in Canada. I could see it happening in a lot of places. Connor is used to walking into places and just being worshipped. And in Brazil, they just were, they were not about that. You know, so he was adversarial with them back, and in a way that worked out kind of nicely for everybody. But um, look, yeah, listen, everyone knows that Brazilian fans, in some ways, are the best fans, in some ways, are the worst fans because they have this deep allegiance to their countrymen, which is great. But they don't really give. I feel like there's not a lot of sportsmanship among <laughs> among them, uh, which is not so great. But be that as it may, um, I, I wouldn't look at the, the Q and A. The Q and A worked out pretty well, all things considered. So. Um, I can see it happening in a lot of places. This question didn't get enough Rex, but I want to answer it. Uh, JDS and Nike. With Jones and Silva out of their sponsorships with Nike, did JDS lose his too? That is my understanding. My understanding is that Nike has just withdrawn from the space. All right. Um, someone says UFC 200 versus UFC 100. With the current roster of UFC stars without Lesnar and GSP, how many title fights and super fights would it take for UFC 200 to even approach the number and publicity of UFC 100? Maybe the card below. McGregor versus Aldo, Weidman versus Hendricks, Rousey versus Cyborg, Jones versus Velasquez. And you can throw in Anderson Silva versus Phil Davis. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Um, I don't think even that card would touch it. Y'all, if y'all got into MMA after UFC 100, I don't know what to tell you. This is a moment in time, man. A moment in time. Luke, do you really think Brazilian MMA would have died if Jose Aldo lost his belt? Not dead, but more like it is in Japan. Someone from New York is calling me. 212, dog. 212. Um... Not dead, but more like it is in Japan, where it's, a, it's lost a lot of its luster and barely produces any real contenders. With the UFC seemingly in decline, well, I don't know if I'd put that exactly, but is this just a global trend? Is Japan just a microcosm of the life and death of MMA in general? I keep saying this. I'm hoping you guys will listen. Yes, the UFC has done a very good job of insulating itself from this effect. You have to give them credit. That seven-year Fox deal is a really important thing um, because it keeps them in continuous presence, which, which is important. But combat sports in the 20th century has a lot, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it hits popularity booms and busts. Booms and busts. You saw it in Japan, the Kakutogi boom, and then the bust. And Brazil has had it done to them twice. Uh, Y'all, you get on here and you act like I choose to like talk about negative things. Y'all ask the questions, I just answer them, okay? 
That's how this works. And moreover, I'm just telling you what I see in reality. Um, Brazil is a market that seems more than normal. And this is based on me talking to journalists like Guillermo Cruz and other Brazilian fighters that responds heavily to nationalism, among a variety of other factors. And having Aldo look like, even if it's not a fair way to describe it, look like he's at the tail end of a decline of Brazilian talent would be not so good. By the way, did you see that Grace Torino, who was, who was running that um, market down there, didn't even last a year? So you have the Singapore issue, which I think has been slightly misstated, but nevertheless, things haven't gone uh, perfectly there. Uh, the China office shut down, and then you have this issue in Brazil, which I'm sure they're going to correct for. Things have gone well with, very, with Gary Cook. I'm not suggesting that this whole global effort is some mess. Not the case at all. Part of it has been very successful. But I still fundamentally cannot wrap my head around the idea that you can have a global sport with one brand. Just don't see how it's possible. I could be wrong, though. Michael Imperato. Oh, is the racist donk? Um, Luke, what do you make of the UFC cutting Imperato, whatever how you pronounce his name, Imperato, 24 hours after being signed for making racist and homophobic comments on a reality show? People say, also, what do you think of the UFC's process of checking a fighter's background involves? They probably use a service that checks your background. So do you have any criminal history, uh, bankruptcy, things like that? Um, that's harder to figure out than if you've made racist comments on a reality show or a documentary or whatever the case may be. So people are like, God, guys, it's a Google search. And I agree, vetting someone takes a little while. But those background checks, I don't know how much they look for that. They probably should, but if you've ever had a background check at a job, they're not checking necessarily, unless you've gone like and joined organizations or participated in these deep online discussions where there's traces. I think most of the time they're trying to see if, like, do you pay your bills on time and if you've had a DUI in your past. This is, a, this is a strange question, but a good one. Suppose that someone developed a PED with some unusual benefits. Okay? Increased strength, better cardio, whatever, but was also scientifically proven to strengthen connective tissue. Considering the number of fights canceled due to knee injuries in the past week, how do you feel about fighters taking this drug? Should it be legal, illegal, overlooked? How would your thoughts change if it only strengthened connected tissue but didn't increase strength? Where would you draw the line to approve the use of this miracle drug? Well, the first thing I'd say is part of what steroids do is that they help you heal faster. I don't know if in the particular way that it you know, uh, unusually benefits connective tissue, but there is a general healing in your immune system and, and the way that which your cells rebuild when you're on steroids. So that partly already has that effect. But the, 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 the twist in your question that I find really interesting is, okay, let's say it didn't give you increased strength and better cardio. What if it just helped you connect tissue better? If it just, if it just helped you heal faster? It's an interesting question. I think most people would say that it's still performance enhancing that part of what being a professional athlete is, is you, you dealt the genetic hand you were given with hard work, skill building, and you go from there. Um, it does, you, what you're saying is it does enhance your performance. It does help you heal faster. Now, not your performance in the fight necessarily, um, although that too, but more about it enhances your performance in training. But if it enhances your performance in training, it ultimately does enhance your performance in the cage because you're getting longer training times. You're getting less time on the sidelines. 
be able to sort of push through and really develop skills at a much more rapid pace. So it really kind of would have that effect. And I think for those reasons, we'd have to be really careful about how we um, either administer it or even allow it. Again, that, that's part of what steroids do. People are always like, steroids don't make your arm bar better. And they don't, but they give you a lot more time to work on it. Um, again, from my email, uh, I'm wondering why the UFC has a weight limit for, for heavyweights. What is so special about 265 pounds that they chose that weight as appropriate for those fighters to fight at? When people like Mark Hunt and Brock Lesnar when he was still fighting, walk around heavier than 265 as their natural weight. Why do they have to lose weight and even cut water weight uh, to make the limit? For Mark Hunt, this is another thing he has to worry about besides possibly not being in the best shape he could be in for a full training cap for his upcoming fight with Verdum. What I basically want to ask is why is there a weight limit for the UFC's heavyweights? Why is it 265? And is there a possibility that would stop enforcing a weight limit for heavyweights in the future? I think at some point they want to have when, um, when th these rules were set in place with the unified rules for weight classes, 65 is the arbitrary limit that they came at. But it's one that they're, it's just sort of stuck. Like, why is lightweight 155? Why is there, like, why is it that way? It's just sort of how it was created. It's the architecture that was built. Um, interesting to note, though, like, for collegiate wrestling, they go to 285. Um, just a little, a little side note there. They can go 20 pounds higher. But I don't mind guys having to trim up. I mean, 265, you're a big-ass dude at 265, you know. Especially if you have to cut, like, water weight because you're super muscly like Brock Lesnar. I think that's nuts. Let's see. I've heard that Cruz wants to go to 145 to fight Aldo, McGregor, and Mendez. How do you think he would fare against the three? Let's see how he looks against uh, Dillashaw first. Cain Velasquez, does he fight again? Does he have a Cruz-esque layoff? He does not have a Cruz-esque layoff. He does fight again. If so, does he have a Cruz-esque comeback in him? I don't think it'll come to that. Or does he come back half of what he used to be and get waxed? I don't think any of that's going to happen. I don't know that he's – I don't know that – I'm not going to be one of these guys who's like, oh, these injuries and these surgeries haven't taken a toll on him and won't have an impact on his performance. I think they will. I just think that the way in which he competes for as long, for as, long as he can still compete like that um, which these surgeries have lowered the, uh, the age, um, just no one can handle. People are, I, there's various questions about it, so let me just answer it. People are asking about Rogan's comments about um, Rousey versus Caraway, and, you know, people should be allowed to do what they want and and so forth. I don't really agree with that. There's one issue where I don't really agree with Joe. Uh, respectfully disagree, of course, but I disagree. So here locally in D.C., uh, a MMA promoter on the amateur side, I shouldn't say D.C., I should say Virginia where it's not regulated, amateur side of MMA, wanted to put on a fight that was a boy versus a girl. And I think the girl was like in her 20s and the dude was 16. I don't know why it was eventually scrapped, but it was. But from a legal standpoint, as I as I understand it nothing is stopping them from doing that if they want to do that again so here's my point like i think what rogan is saying is if you have two consenting adults in this case ronda rousey in this case brian caraway we know that they have unbelievable athletic pedigree you know brian caraway is not a judo olympian but he's a pretty successful high level mma fighter 
And so if you have these things, why shouldn't these adults be able to do what they want to do? Why? Because they're different genders? What does that mean? Um, fighting is uniquely dangerous. If you officiate it the right way and people know the risks of what they're getting into, what right does the government have to say that they can stop these people? And what I would submit to you is a law protecting people from doing that is not aimed necessarily at your Rouseys and your Caraways, should they ever decide to physically settle their dispute. It is aimed at stopping the unscrupulous. That is what it is aimed at. It is aimed at stopping people like that promoter in Virginia who wanted to do that. Right? Because if you said, well, okay, fine, people should be allowed to do what they want to do. And even if you made the consenting age 18 or put some sort of limit on it, you're going to find circumstances where it is not healthy and it is not appropriate and it is more uniquely dangerous than normal MMA fighting itself, which, by the way, is an inherently incredibly dangerous activity. This is about stopping people from the bottom of the barrel. It may affect people at the top of the athletic food chain as a consequence. I think that is a cost we are all socially willing to pay. I certainly am. Um, because the kind of danger that you would allow, the unique form of danger, even among consenting adults in that particular circumstance, under the guise and control of an unscrupulous promoter or trainer or something like that, would be, would be I think, a risk too great to bear. There are some kinds of limits that we put on, on human choice um, for, for benefit. And it's a complicated question about what you value and what you don't, what's relevant as a matter of rights, um, what role the government has to play in protecting citizens from themselves. And this can be a complicated debate. But for me, knowing what I've seen could happen in circumstances where things are unregulated, I, I don't really want a part of it. Um, God, someone made a claim. Luke, for UFC 179, Aldo made 120000 to show and 120000 to win and a fifty grand bonus. So now in his last four fights, he has made a reported um, 290000 preceded by two payouts of 240000 and then 290000 for 156 The guy has made over a million dollars in his last four fights, so when will he stop complaining about his pay? Are we supposed to believe that Aldo is barely skating by with this kind of income coming in? I don't even know how to answer questions like that anymore, man. It's like, this is what I'm talking about, man. You got a guy who is the best featherweight of all time and in four fights has only made a million dollars. And people are like, what is he complaining about? Gee, I don't know. Maybe he's got once-in-a-generation skills and thinks he should be paid according to those guidelines based on the revenue that the organization generally is taking in. What an a-hole, huh? Boy, that Aldo's got some nerves. He's got skills that no one else on the planet in his division can replicate, and yet claims that you know he's like being underpaid. Yeah, maybe he's got some gripe. I don't know, guys. Is it just me? This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Well, I'd, I'd love to make a million dollars in four fights. You're not the best featherweight of all time, are you? <laughs> You're not the best at anything of all time. You don't deserve to be paid like that. You don't, you're not in a position to negotiate pay like that. For me, I want a sport where we weed out people who can't make the cut and we handsomely reward the people who can. And maybe not everyone else is a fan of that arrangement, but I certainly am. I, I don't mind paying a lot to guys who are doing things that no one else can do. What I don't want to do is pay a bunch of guys who do basically the same things that everybody else can do. 
That to me is not, that's not how the money should be distributed. And it's not my money, I know. You can just ignore what I'm saying. I get it. That's the way the world works. I'm just out here talking on a microphone and a, and a webcam. That's fine. But it's, that's the way a lot of other sports work. You cut out the guys who don't make it, you bring in the ones who do, and you pay them a ton of cash to make sure that they're in a position to constantly deliver to you the only kind of skills that they can bring, which other people can't, or at least only a few others can. That's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Bellator 2015, Luke, the UFC seems to hate close, comp close competitors. Well, all big businesses hate close competitors. Nothing new there. But if Bellator gets their house in order in 2015 and starts putting on great events every month, how would that not help the UFC draw attention and media to MMA? I realize that they don't want to lose their number one spot in MMA. Um, all right, whatever. But for the first question, I, I do think that, listen, the UFC has been so successful that other people can't do what they do. And so they've been able to really go and grow their business in, I think, a lot of healthy ways. And I think a lot of ways that are up for debate. But I, one thing, I, I've said this before, one of the best things the UFC is is a, is a competitor. But they haven't had one. They haven't had one. And I'm really kind of hoping for MMA's sake, not for Spike's sake, not for UFC's sake, for MMA's sake, that Spike and Bellator together can create an environment where the UFC is forced to pay more attention to their product to make sure that people don't look at the Bellator product and vice versa, that Bellator creates a product that is good enough that it entices people to watch it irrespective of their other choices. That's what the consumer benefits from that's what's good for the sport and I think for feels like for a few years now that's just been really missing um, let's go back to Twitter for just a second if I may if I may son People are saying that there is some evidence that Mark Goddard did hear the bell. I mean, he says he didn't. I don't know that watching the tape necessarily changes it, but I'll take a look again. Uh, Don Cerrone versus Miles Jury set for UFC Fight Night 59 in Boston. That's the same one as Conor McGregor. Love the fight. Listen, it's, it's not that I don't want to see McGregor fight Dennis Seaver. I just don't want to see it get drowned out by the AFC game. Jury versus Cerrone is an incredible fight. It's going to be great. I just hope it doesn't get drowned out by the game. That's all I really know how to – I don't know what else to say, you know. All right. A couple more questions and we'll get out of here. Um – what are your thoughts on writers taking what Joe Rogan says in his podcast as a joke or at least not being serious and using it for what people call clickbait? I think, um, I think Rogan has the right to say whatever he wants in his podcast. I hope he continues to do so. The last thing we want is yet more censored content, either self-censorship or some other form of it. Um, I also think, though, that if he's going to make opinions about MMA and he's being relatively serious about them, now if he's joking, of course, then he's joking, but relatively serious ones, then um, we have to evaluate them as such. Um, I don't know what's controversial about that. That's just for any, any, any present situation, any future situation. But if he makes off-color jokes, like, I don't care about that. You know what I mean? If people are like, oh, my God, he made a joke about Fallon Fox. I don't find those particularly – and I'm not saying he did. I'm just using that as an example if maybe he did something like that 
or if you make a comment in a joking way about Fallon Fox, let's call for his job. I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. Not that I don't care necessarily about any kind of forms of benign or malevolent gender discrimination or, or transgender discrimination. I don't mean to suggest that. I just mean I, I like to give comedians the space to be inappropriate, you know. I think they sh I think they deserve to be inappropriate. That's how they that's how you form appropriateness as a, as a, as, a, as an artist. I think trying to trying to put limits on that kind of thing is dangerous and I don't I don't want any part of it. It's difficult for us because he crosses this boundary into this public figure in a, in a major sports organization and so that creates some complicated issues about navigating it, but as a general rule, people are like, "Oh my god, this comedian said misogynist things." Okay, fine. I mean, I'm not I don't agree with the misogyny, but that's for the that's for the that's for him to live with, or her. That's for the comedy club to deal with. I don't want to have a policy where we put limits on art. I just, I'm not in favor of that, even if the art is obscene. Uh, let's do one more uh, true-false. McGregor versus Sieber will actually happen. Yes, of course. Mendez beats everyone except Aldo in the division. True. Oui. Gus stops Rashad. I'll say... True, Teixeira loses to any top five to any other top five guy. I will say true. Silva fights three of his fifteen fight contracts before retiring. True. Favor fights for the title again. I'll say true. Vitor Belfort loses and retires. Um, false. Pettis stops Melendez. I'll say false. Rory wins the belt in 2015. I will say true. Uh, if there's more uh, questions, I'll answer them uh, after this chat's over. All right, guys, sorry for the awkward start. I don't know what happened there. I want to thank everyone for watching. Um, follow me on Twitter, at SBNLukeThomas. If you have an email, Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. One quick announcement before we get out of here. Everyone, yes, last week I asked, hey, do you guys want more content? Do you want more content? And um, I got an overwhelming response from people. We want more content. We want more content. So if you haven't noticed already, I've uploaded two additional pieces of content on the iTunes feed. I'll upload them whenever it comes to me. I'm not going to have a schedule, at least not now. That may change, but for now, I'm not going to have a schedule. So the only way to know if you're getting new content is to follow me on Twitter, at SBNLukeThomas, or just keep checking your SoundCloud or Stitcher or your iTunes feed, which we are on all three. Uh, please share this video. I would greatly appreciate it. I thank you guys so much for watching. We'll have coverage of Invicta this weekend. I'm actually going to see Run the Jewels at the 930 Club in D.C. Can't wait about, uh, for that. I know I'm a 35-year-old white guy, but I got nothing else to do, I suppose. Um, appreciate it, guys. Until next time, stay frosty.